to see you here in the house of God. Really good. So, But good morning to one and all here today and friends and visitors and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre where we believe that a church alive is definitely worth a drive. And uh, it's good to have you with us and also a big welcome to our online family joining with us on our podcast service. Hundreds of people now are beginning to download our messages. Nearly 4,000 downloads already since we've been kicking off. So it's fantastic. So, but our deepest desire is that you and everybody here today will grow in God. Uh, to know Jesus is not a, a concept of our mind in this place, but it's a reality in our lives. Amen? And uh, do you know Jesus? Four words that have eternal consequences. Do you know Jesus? Today you can settle that eternal issue. You can know that you have life. A lot of people think, oh, well, I'll, I'll find out. But the Bible's very, very clear. The Apostle John penned in his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And you can know that you have eternal life. It doesn't have to be left up to K Sarah, Sarah, as Doris Day sang 60 years ago, whatever will be, will be. You remember that song, Ivan? None of us do, but Ivan does. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, Ivan, I always pick on him. I'd like for us, um, I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Don't go there if you don't want to, because I'm going to be a flick across to First Chronicles after that. I'm going to read a few verses and uh, we're talking about a period of time about 3,000 years ago. And we're talking about a man called David, King David. And, uh, and so it is, uh, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. And that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God, which was the presence of God amongst the people, dwells inside a tent curtain. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the time that I brought the children out of Israel from Egypt. Even to this day, but I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, I have spoken, or have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, it's interesting to note, that the servant David, the king of the land, is the Lord's servant. The Bible says the heart of the king in every land is in the Lord's hands, and he turns it wherever he wishes. Amen? I took you from the sheephold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And so it is to this day. The name of King David is the measure by which all kings of the earth are measured. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And it says, I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Stick with me now. I'm nearly moving. 
on. Since the time which I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, it's almost just like a byword, but here it is. And the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And the title of my message this morning is, I will build you a house. So many times we want to build the Lord's house. And, uh, and that's a great thing to do. But it is God's deepest desire that he build you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and rest, and rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Who's doing the I? It's I, God, I mean. And he will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. Who's going to do it? God's going to establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Almost messianic, almost in that, in that verse there. And incredible, isn't it, that the Lord wants to build you a house. And that is the title of the message this morning, taken from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And, um, and so uh, the title of that message, but... Uh, uh, God in these verses established his covenant with David. And we spoke in the, in the last fortnight, I've brought two messages on the God-keeping covenant. Amen? And uh, I have brought those two messages, the covenant-keeping God is actually the, the title. But David became king over all Israel, and every king since that time is measured against the kingship of David. This very account of David's life is covered in greater detail in First Chronicles. And so I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, bring a notebook to church, amen. And uh, I like to take people through the Bible so they can reference for themselves as everything is referenced to the Word of God. And so I'd like now to, if you would turn in your Bibles now to First Chronicles and chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles with you. And I'm just going to be paraphrasing quickly through these chapters to bring us to the main message of that God says, I will build you a house. And so in First Chronicles and chapter 14, we can see that David's kingship is being firmly established by God. Amen. God raises up kings and God pulls down kings. We think uh, things ain't easy under Albanese, but I want to tell you that God raises up kings and God pulls down kings. He raises up Dan's and he pulls down Dan's and he'll do it all in his own good time. And be sure to know, don't despair, the devil's on a short leaf, leash and the Lord is sovereign, ultimately sovereign in all things. Amen. And so in 1 Chronicles 14.1, we see that now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees with masons and carpenters to build him a house. In other places, it said that David had houses, plural. And uh, in Chronicles 14.2, it says, David's kingdom established and highly exalted by God. So David's on a roll here. God is establishing his kingdom. In 1 Chronicles 14.3, we say David took more wives and had more sons and daughters. He's on a real good roll here, amen? In, uh, in, verse, in chapter 14 and verses 8 to 17, we see David defeated his enemies with the help of the Lord. And so this is a, this is a, a kingship that is going places, amen? And so in 1 Chronicles 15.25, we're now in chapter 15, and we can see that the ark is brought up to Jerusalem. 
before it had been at Gibeon, but now brought up to Jerusalem. And so now this priesthood, this mighty King David, has also, not only does he have houses and an established kingdom, highly exalted, more wives and sons and daughters, defeated all his enemies, the ark and the presence of God is in Jerusalem. What more could this king have? And um, in First Chronicles 15, 27, we see David now wearing fine clothes and even wearing the ephod, ephod of the priesthood. Amen? And so in First Chronicles 16, uh, we see that there's an amazing psalm here that he write, writes. And it's a psalm of thanksgiving because David cannot believe the amount of blessing that his kingship that, and his rulership that rested. And he was the king that brought Israel into the glory days. And uh, if there's any a time that they would reminisce, it would be in the days of King David or his son Solomon. And basically the glory days really of Israel only lasted about 75 years. But they are the stories which we tell thousands of years later. 3,000 years later, we're still talking about the glory days of King David and his son Solomon. And uh, he writes and delivers a psalm of thanksgiving, and it's to be sung by the, uh, and led by the musicians and singers. So David, I'll read out some portions of this psalm, and uh, he's just giving thanks to God. Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works. Does anybody get up in the morning and just begin to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Songs of thanksgiving for everything that the Lord has done for you. Remember I preached in the, on the midweek meeting and forget not his benefits. All the incredible benefits that God has when you serve God is not a hard thing to serve God. The benefits of serving God, I trust that you download that as messages. And uh, I also spoke on the covenant and in verse 14 he says, He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. And so God's covenants are forever. They are an everlasting covenant. And we know the covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ is an eternal covenant and uh, sealed in the blood of Jesus. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. Verse 16, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Abraham and uh, we see covenants and oaths and blood oaths are the same thing. And he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. And it says also to Israel for an everlasting covenant. And so the covenant, this agreement between God and man was made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Before Abraham, there was also Noah. And to Israel, and uh, it's great to read, and how good life is. David's writings and psalms now playing on the local radio station and in the top 40. He must have been chuffed, amen, writing this uh, great psalm. But that's right, all the music, and there were thousands of musicians and singers assigned to their task on a rostered duty. 4,000 singers, I think there were. That's a lot, isn't it? Amazing, the sound, the trumpets and everything. And, uh, but how good life is, David must have thought. And in 1 Chronicles 16, David's heart is filled and overflowing with gratitude. And he writes this amazing psalm. I, uh, I've added to the book of Psalms. And when I come across the Psalms in Scripture, I add it to uh, the book of Psalms. So I, I'm aware of them. 
And so he wrote of these covenants, not yet knowing. Here is David now documenting all these covenants, not even fully aware that God is just about to make a covenant with him. Isn't it good, isn't it? He didn't know because he, he wasn't chasing a covenant, but he was, it was just out of a gratitude that God gave him and cut this covenant with him. And so, and then the Lord says, I will build you a house. Isn't it a great promise? And uh, that, that the Lord will build you a house. I'm a carpenter, carpenter by trade, and I think I could build a decent sort of house. But I think the Lord's house would be a lot better than mine, don't you think? Uh, a house these days is only guaranteed for about 50 years, a shed 25 that was standard. But the Lord's house is an eternal house. Oh, what building code could you ever uh, come up with that would last for eternity? I know not a material that is good for eternity. Everything oxidizes and rusts and all those sorts of things. And so, but a house is a... or a, when God speaks this word house, it's bayit, is, means uh, uh, bet. And, uh, and so it means household or family or clan. So it's not just a physical structure that God's talking about. When God says he wants to build you a house, he wants to build your family. He wants to build your clan. He wants to build your mob, amen? He wants to build your home. This word occurs over 2,000 times, and the Lord also uses this word to describe his temple and the house of God at Jerusalem. David wanted to build God a house at Jerusalem, but the Lord says, no, I want to build you a house. Isn't that beautiful, isn't it? God wants to build your house. You think my house is in a bit of disarray. I need a bit of organization. I'm stand back. and Stand back. As I've described before, sometimes I feel God saying, with, when I'm standing there with my little shovel, shoveling away, and the Lord's behind me in the D9 do, dozer saying, move aside, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I want to bring in the big guns. Amen? Wouldn't it be better to let the Lord build your house? But you, the word there is, the Lord wants to build your house, but you've got to let him help you build the house. He wants to be the Lord of your life, but will you let him be the Lord of your life? A lot of people won't allow the Lord to be Lord of their life. He said, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. He wants to be Lord over every facet of your life. And so God took him in these scriptures here. He, he takes David, the young shepherd boy, the youngest of about seven brothers, takes him from the sheephold, the youngest of his father's sons, and makes him king over, for the first time, a completely united Israel. Under Saul, it became divided even. Who was the first king? Saul was man's pick. But David was certainly God's pick. Was David uh, perfect? Can I have a no there? There should be an adamant no. But the reason why we can identify with David is the fact that he wasn't perfect. People say, oh, that can't be in the Bible. It's not perfect. No, it's, it's involving you and I. So it's, it's going to be imperfect. It's going to have warts and all in it. If I've got anything to do with it, what about you? Is any one of us here going to perfect anything? No. We only are perfected in the person of Jesus Christ. And the robe of righteousness that we wear is the one that he gave us. Amen. And we wear it proudly. And he says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And if God has said it, why would you undermine God's word and say I'm not? You are perfected in him. It's hard for people to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But it's a declaration that lines up with the word. And when you say, I'm no good, it doesn't line up with the word of God. 
God says you are made whole. That's what peace means. Shalom means to be made whole. And so God took this, this young sapling of a kid, the youngest of all the brothers, the ruddiest of all the brothers, raised him up to be the king of a united Israel. And the ark of God is brought into Jerusalem. The priesthood's established. He's got a beautiful home. He's got wives. He's got kids. He's got finance. All his enemies are under his foot. He is, uh, he is living life. Amen? He is, uh, he's probably thinking, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> That's probably the most vulnerable time that you can be in your life. When prosperity and goodness overwhelms us, like Australia, one of the most prosperous people on the, on the earth, doesn't matter who you are, the poorest Australians lives in the middle carriage of carriage number one. Uh, if all the nations of the earth were put into ten carriages, the poorest Australian sits in the middle carriage of carriage number one. Amazing, isn't it? One of the prosperous peoples and lands in all the earth. And so... Uh, so David now has a royal house or houses built with the best materials of stone and cedar, the best craftsmen, not just in his country, but neighboring countries. The best craftsmen were brought in to build David's house. And so First uh, Chronicles 17 now brings a more detailed account of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And you think, well, why are these stories repeated? And you have to see in the eyes of of what, when we have a witness, an eyewitness account, it's good to have two or three or four witnesses like the gospel accounts of the ministry of Jesus because they come at things from a different perspective. And so th with these different accounts, you get a more conclusive overview of really what's going on. And so Second Chronicles chapter 17 gives us a greater in-depth overview of Second Samuel. Amen? It's chapter 7. And so I'll go over it now with you. First Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant, there's that word again, of the Lord is under tent curtains. And then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened, so that was a good idea, amen? It was a good idea for him to even come up with the idea to build the Lord a temple. And thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. This is what the Lord said through the prophet. And for I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to the other. And uh, it goes on to say then in uh, verse 9, Moreover, I have appointed a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. That's God's uh, fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 17, and to Isaac and Jacob. And they may dwell in the place of their own, move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness approve them, approve them, uh, oppress them any more as previously. Since that time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, it's just like another add-on here. I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Isn't that beautiful? Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. It's a promise. 
And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you. This is a promise from God. It is a covenant that God made with David, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house. Who's going to build the house? It's not going to be King David, but it is going to be his son Solomon. And uh, the Lord had reasons for that. And he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. It goes on to say in, in verse 24, And let the house of your servant David be established before you. David is repeating the words of the Lord. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. What God was really saying he was here is, because you had it in your heart, a great desire to build me a house, I will build your house. Who's building your house today? Oh, it's a good declaration to make. The Lord is building my house. He's building my home. He's building my clan. He's building my mob. He's building my people. Oh, the Lord is doing these things. Amen? The Lord is doing these things. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build a house. Verse 10. And so in chapter 20 now, and so it takes the best part of 10 chapters to fill in all the details of what was written in one chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 7. 10 chapters. And it covers in and out the fulfilling of this promise to David that the Lord was going to build him a house. And often in life, we are at great risk of personal downfall when we are most proper, uh, prosperous. And this is found in the longevity tables that the life insurance companies use all the time. And you will say, see in times of great prosperity in a nation that the morbidity tables actually drop. And in times of drought and times of despair and times of lack, people actually live longer. <laughs> Isn't that true? I found this out about 30, 35 years ago when I was working in the insurance industry in the, uh, in the, early, in the late 80s and the early 90s. And so uh, David sins, though, now in uh, numbering Israel, something God forbade him to do. Initially, when God, be, when, uh, God appointed David king, we heard that in uh, Priscilla's message of the God of the breakthroughs, that immediately the five Amorite kings came against David. And successively, as his kingdom was being built, further kings came and attacked David. And they were a physical, uh, they were a physical affront to his life. They were obviously from the devil, but they were a, a physical assault. Uh, but we see now uh, that in, ver in chapter 21, it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. In other words, when you're flying high, if the devil can't get to you physically, he will get to you spiritually. And the thing is, when you have a physical opponent, you have the ability to look your opponent in the eye. And that's a good thing because it's there before you, you can anticipate. But there is something more sinister when it's a spiritual attack. 
And when you're, you've overcome, David overcome those physical attacks that came his way. Successive people, the Philistines, the, the Amorites and the Midianites in time and all these different people, they came his way. And even the remaining uh, five brothers of the uh, Goliath of Gath, he defeated those as well. But they were all physical attacks that he could t- see. But in chapter 21, we see now that there is a spiritual attack And he said, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Another word you could use there, and it uses it in other places that Satan does, it would be to incite David. And sometimes the devil can try to incite us or to move us. And how does the devil, uh, uh, what tactics does the devil use? He uses our weaknesses. And he used David's weakness there. Let me just find my notes here. And uh, it's one thing to have a physical attack. As I said, but a spiritual attack is less predictable and takes advantages of our weaknesses. Is there anybody here who has a weakness? I have many weaknesses. And uh, I, I remember uh, last Sunday night, I hit the wall. I'd been going and going and going and going and going and going and going. And I knew that I'd hit the wall. Sometimes I have energy that just lasts for days and days and days, and all of a sudden something happens. And I didn't want to go out that night, and I didn't, because I knew that sometimes when I'm excessively tired, excessively worn out, that I can be highly agitated when asked the wrong questions. (laughs) Is there anybody else like that here? (laughs) I I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm like that too. I didn't go out that night. And I didn't get to the combined meeting. I'd hit the wall and I knew I was in a place of spiritual weakness. Amen? And I like, I encourage people to be obedient, to sacrifice, to get out and do things and everything like that. But I knew my own weakness and I stayed home. Had I been asked the wrong question on that night, I could have let it fly. Amen? I was, my guards and defenses were low. Amen? And you and I have to know what our weaknesses are. If we have weaknesses, and we all have them, amen? When you know yourself, know yourself, know yourself, and be wise. When you're tired, rest, amen? Enter into the Lord's rest. And so uh, what happens is when when, uh, David went out and numbered, what happened was really pride was most likely David's motive for numbering the troops throughout all Israel. God had built him a kingdom, a united kingdom. He had priests and governors and counselors and everything was in order. He had provision. The Lord defeated all his enemies. He had wives. He had children. He had sons and daughters. Everything that he had. He had a beautiful home. Homes, it says in some places. Houses. Palaces. And yet, and yet, there was a weakness that caused him to go and number the, the uh, military forces of Israel. And the Lord forbade kings of Israel to number their forces. Why? It was just something that God asked them to be obedient to. And the reason is simple. He says, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. I will defend you. I will be your rear guard. I will go before you. I will be to the left and to the right. Psalm 91. God wanted to be everything to David. But David now could see. Or there was something like a spiritual pride you could see between the lines which caused David. That was his weak spot. That was his weak spot. He was a tremendous man. I don't see many weak spots in him, but there's one. 
And, uh, and it reminded me this morning of Daniel 4.30, and, uh, and it was, uh, remember Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, and he says, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? They're the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. Or David never said any of those things. Something like that probably went on in his heart. It was not a foreign army that brought King Nebuchadnezzar so low. And Nebuchadnezzar was brought low for seven years. But it was the pride of his heart that destroyed him. The ruler of the king of kings, he was called, Nebuchadnezzar. King of the Babylonian Empire. 586 BC, he brought Jerusalem low and carried it all the way captive. And so we see something like this. First Chronicles 21, 14. And so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. Let's go to chapter 21. And uh, if you've got it there before you. And uh, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, this is verse 14, as 70,000 men of Israel fell. 70,000. David had disobeyed God, but being in a place of influence causes a downfall of not just a king, but his kingdom. And many people pay the price of foolish kings. The Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who is destroying, these are, uh, this is an important verse here, and it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord, listen to this, standing between earth, the earth and heaven. You see in, the, in Scripture there is always a picture of a mediator. And Jesus is Christ. Jesus the Christ is a mediator between earth and the heaven. Amen? And there is a picture there of the goodness and the mercy of God in that one there. And so a plague then came upon the people. 70,000 people died. An angel of the Lord stood between the earth and the heavens. The Lord relented from further judgment. And at that place, the place of sacrifice, the place of penalty, the place where blood was shed, and uh, the place where the mediators stood, there was a place called the threshing floor of Onan. And David says, I want to sacrifice to the Lord right here and right now. And he says, I want to purchase this land, this place. There's a lot of information here, isn't it? But it's, ex it's exciting stuff when you read all of it through and gain an understanding of what God is doing. And so uh, where is the judgment diverted to? In the New Testament, the judgment that was, it was diverted in this, in this passage of Scripture here, but in the New Testament, the judgment is diverted to the cross. Who paid our price? Who copped the judgment that we so rightly deserved? You don't want justice from God, you want mercy from God. There's nobody here. People, a, lot of people, a lot of people say, I want justice. I want divine justice. And I go, no, you don't. Divine justice means that this place would be empty right now. You want the mercy of God. Every single one of us here needs the mercy of God. Every one of us needs the mercy of God. None of us can stand. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, that's the, on the cross, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 40, 46.
David and the elders repented at the place where judgment ceased. And David purchased that, that piece of land on the mountains of Moriah, the same mountains of Moriah that Abraham was to sacrifice his son. And the Lord there at that place withheld the hand of Abraham and the Lord provided a sacrifice for him. And so David purchased the ground at the full price of 600 shekels. Oh, does it mean anything? Oh, well, yes, it does. And he says, uh, and the, uh, Ornan, he, at, uh, he wanted to give the land to, to, uh, to David. He, wanted to, he says, if you're going to sacrifice to the Lord, I want to give you the land. And David said something that is a pretty amazing. He says, I will surely, uh, I will sh- it is for the full price that I will pay for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings that which costs me nothing. There is something about sacrifice which God puts on a burnt offering. Oh, some people say, oh, you don't know what it, it takes for me to get there. But it is something about sacrifice. I have always noticed that the people who go to conferences who have to travel the greatest distance seem to be always the most blessed. And the people who rock in late to the conference are generally the ones who live around the corner. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Who's ever gone to a conference and you've flown a couple of thousand kilometers to get there? And you got there the day before. You booked a motel just around the corner. You hired a car and you had to get some food. And you had to make lots of arrangements. You planned, but you were prepared and everything like that. But there is something about sacrifice, something about sacrifice that God just loves. Amen? And people who don't pay a sacrifice to obtain the blessing of the Lord often don't obtain it at all. Amazing, isn't it? And so the Lord relented on the same mountains of Moriah a thousand years. You see, that was a thousand years between Abraham and David. A thousand years, amen? Not a short period of time. And so God rejects David's offer to build him a house. And it says, I, would, I don't want you to build my house. You've been a man of war. You've been a man of blood. You've had assignments to do. And David was used as a threshing sledge in the hand of the Lord. Amen? And David had a specific task. But to build the Lord's temple was not for him to build. And so did David pick up his bat and ball and go home? I know people, when they've not been accepted in the ministry, stop going to church. Stop worshipping God. Stop doing this and stop doing that. Stop being on the worship team for some reasons. Over the years, I've seen it myself. And, uh, and they went, took their bat and ball and go, no, but did David do that? No, he did not. What did David do? He stood back. He was a king. He was a man of tremendous influence. He made provision for his son to build the temple. And so his son, uh, the pronunciation for Solomon in the Hebrew is Shlomo. Can you say that? Shlomo. Doesn't quite sound the same to us, does it? Shlomo. That's Solomon. Its derivative is from Shalom. And so uh, Solomon was a man of peace. And God gave Solomon a peace with all the surrounding peoples and tribes and nations so that he could establish his kingdom and to build the temple, which took uh, 46 years, I think, the temple took to build. I mean, the finials, the pigeon guards on the on the roof of Solomon's temple were made of gold. Can you imagine that? You know those little spiky things that they put on all the public buildings? They're all covered with gold in Solomon's temple. Right? None, no more. There's never been a building like Solomon's temple. Magnificent, magnificent. 
And I'm thinking to myself, what would you do for God if you didn't worry about who was going to get the credit? Isn't that a good question to ask of myself? What would I do for God? What would I do to support a ministry, to support the gospel going out, if I didn't care if I was going to get the credit or not? And pride is the greatest killer of all ministries on the earth today. Pride is the greatest killer. The greatest killer, worrying about who's going to get the credit for this or the credit for that. David did not care. He said, if I can't build the temple, I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure my son can. And he provided for him. He established good leadership right through every level of government. Every system and everything was put in place. He helped, he helped Solomon. He said, my son is inexperienced and he's young. But basically, Solomon built the temple with daddy's money. That's what he did. And David did not care who got the credit. Who's the, who's the temple named after? It's named after his son. It's named after Solomon. Who put all the provisions in place? All the bronze, all the gold, all the timber, all the cut stone. All the stone was cut before Solomon was handed the blueprints in chapter 28. It wasn't only just before his death that David handed over the blueprints after having made provision to build the Lord's house. And that's why there's something about the heart of David which we could all learn, I can learn, because it was in David's heart to build the Lord's house. So God made a covenant with him to build his house. What about today? What is our motivation? Do you want to build the house of God? Not just talking about a physical structure, but building the house of God is building people up in the faith, investing finances, resources, your abilities. So many people these days don't even go to church anymore where their abilities and gifts can be utilised by all the rest of the body. They stay at home and it's the holy trinity of me, you and YouTube. Amen. Me, you and YouTube is not the holy trinity. I encourage people to be part of a body, a vibrant body, and where your gifts and talents and abilities, which have been invested in you by God for the benefit, they're not for you, but they are for the benefit of everybody around you. And when we withhold and stay in our homes, don't fellowship, we withhold the beautiful gifts that God has invested into you, which are for your brothers and sisters sitting right next to you. Thank you for coming today and being part of what God is doing here. And so, I, I think when, uh, also when I, I think uh, David had everything in his life, I'm rounding up now if Jules would just come to the keys, but I'm rounding up now, but I, I'm thinking there is always, we can invest our lives in many things. And I, I recall seeing a, a mini-series uh, some time ago, and it was called The Men Who Built America. And it was the 50-year period between the end of the Civil War in America in 1865 and around about 1915. And established in America now were new industries, new empires privately owned that whole countries could not rival. The men who built these industries became amazingly rich. And... Uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt dominated the railways. John D. Rockefeller, we still don't know that name to this day, in the oil industry. Andrew Carnegie, the steel magnate. When Carnegie sold his steel empire, 
to JP Morgan. That's JP Morgan Chase that you see on the TV with the financial stuff these days. He was worth more than double what Elon Musk currently owns today. Double. Dale Carnegie uh, had investments worth more than double of what Elon Musk have. And that is going back all those years. And at the end of the day, you can invest your life in many things. And uh, there was a great uh, competition between John D. Rockefeller and, and Dale Carnegie. I mean, Andrew Carnegie, sorry. Andrew Carnegie. A Scottish, a Scottish background. And uh, Scots were great in steel making in those days and still are. And, uh, and there was always a competition who is the richest. And uh, nations of the earth didn't, uh, they didn't have the wealth of these two men. No, nowhere near it. No, nowhere near it. They had uh, the influence and wealth of many nations on the earth at that time. And after having everything, owning everything, influencing everything, the greatest question they had towards the end of their life was who could give the most away? Because really at the end of the day, what we invest in here of the earth is shadows and dust to steal a line. Shadows and dust. It's here today, gone tomorrow. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There is an eternity that you can invest in and it's called the house of God. You can invest in your spiritual life, your prayer life, your Bible reading life, your study and prayer life, worship. Invest in people around you. And I think it, you've got Christians around you, people who are not walking with God perhaps, and they need encouraging. Or you can invest in their life. That's investing in the kingdom. I want to encourage you. In, invest in your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren. And that is an eternal inheritance. We may be working hard to pay off a house and houses. As soon as we have one house these days, it seems never enough. You have a little four-wheel drive and then you want a bigger one. We're all the same. We're all the same. Not everybody can have a Pajero. <laughs> I say, because they to build the Lord's house, the Lord made a covenant promise with him that he would build his house and it would endure forever. How could that happen? Jesus Christ came from the direct lineage of King David and he's mentioned, amen, he's mentioned in both in Matthew and in, and in Luke's account of being in the lineage of Jesus the Christ. And so God has established his lineage and it is an eternal lineage. Let's just stand to our feet right now. Sometimes I pray that I could speak with more clarity to get the message of God through the way that He had intended it. At the end of the day, I just have to trust God because I do my best with what God's given me. But I pray in the name of Jesus. I spoke of an eternal, uh, eternal life with Jesus Christ. And you don't have to uh, take a chance on that. You don't have to. You can have an assurance today and there's people listening online. You're driving in your car or you're at the gym. You may be walking on the beach. And, uh, but I pray. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me and say it with all your heart. And if you say something like this with all your heart, you'll be born again of the Spirit of God and you can become a disciple, not just a believer. Many people say a prayer, but they don't go on and be discipled. 
but I encourage you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just a fan, but a follower of Jesus Christ, which is a massive difference. Many people are fans of the gospel, fans of Christianity, supporters of the church, but they are not followers of Jesus Christ. And there is an immense difference. I encourage you today, be a disciple today. I'm going to pray this prayer and uh, ask you that you join with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you now. I'm a sinful person. I'm sorry for my sin. And I turn away from it. I turn my back on sin and walk the other way. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Cleanse me with the precious blood of Jesus. I invite Jesus into my heart. And I welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. By faith I declare. I am born again. Of the Spirit of the living God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming today. I pray that this day has been a blessing to you, that your walk with God is just that little bit closer because you've joined. And now we're just going to enter the other great part of our Christian walk and join some fellowship together. Amen.